HRN listeners. As we celebrate our 15th year, we are deepening our commitment to giving voice to the next generation of food system storytellers, and we need your help. Our internship and fellowship programs help activate new possibilities for underrepresented and underestimated young people through experiential journalism, audio engineering, and production training. Through these unique programs, HRN helps food equity stewards build essential workforce readiness skills that expand their potential and foster economic mobility. Please consider supporting these critical programs. And with a minimum donation, you can be entered to win a dinner for two at an amazing restaurant in one of eight cities and tickets to a concert at a great venue in one of those cities. We have incredible partners across the country who have donated as they also share our passion for helping to educate the next generation of food system storytellers. Check out heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. That's heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. And make sure you donate before March 31st. Thank you. You're listening to Heritage Radio Network. Since 2009, HRN podcasts have been exploring the wide world of food, beverage, and agriculture. Learn more at heritageradionetwork.org. This episode is brought to you by PASA Sustainable Agriculture. Register now for PASA's 2024 conference in Lancaster, Pennsylvania. Don't miss over 70 educational sessions on farming and food systems, plus an expansive trade show. Learn more at pasafarming.org slash HRN2024. We talk about food. We talk about music with musical dudes. Finger on the pulse, snacky tunes. Hello and welcome to Snacky Tunes. I'm your host, Darren Bresnitz. Today we are sitting down with Chef Angela Sosa, whose new restaurant, Kambara, just opened in Phoenix at the end of last year. We talk about his time in New York, his travels all over the world, and his obsessive nature when it comes to his playlist at all of his restaurants. And then it's a dive into the archives where we sit down with Francis Rose, a New York duo who love R&B, rock, grunge, indie rock, and they talk about growing up in the Hudson River Valley. It's a great episode, and we're happy to have you. So please sit back, relax, and enjoy Snacky Tunes here on HRN. You got a new leather jacket on. And so long, I can't see your eyes. Dance like strangers in the dark. It's been so long, I want to see your eyes. So be we become comfy. We've lost ourselves inside this shell At the end of the night, you and me Do what we like, do what we like End of the night, you and me Go home together, or leave separately We love. 
light at the end of the night. End of the night. You and me do what we like. Do what we like. End of the night. You and me go home together and do what we like. End of the night. We do what we like. Chef, welcome to Snacky Tunes, making that California connection from L.A. to San Diego. Thank you for sitting down with us today. Oh, my God. Thanks for waiting for me. I was a little uh, it took me a minute to get on, but thank you. We've seen it all. We've seen it all. And I got to tell you, when the pandemic started and Zencaster wasn't what it is now, uh, it was a lot more difficult uh, to get this thing going. Um, Listen, let's not bury the lead. Congratulations. A month into your new baby, Kambara. How are you feeling? How's it going? What did you guys do for New Year's? Oh, my God. I mean, Kambara, uh, I, I have such a deep love for Asian food. I spent about three months. I spent a lot of time in Asia, but for research for Kambara, we spent mm-hmm. about three months from Japan to Chiang Mai to Phuk Phuk to Singapore to Penang to Malaysia, Malacca. It's just magical. Uh, for New Year's, um, we just we just opened, <laughs> and, yeah. and we served amazing food. We served amazing. fresh noodles, fresh dim sum, beautiful curries, cow soy, fish head curry, and we had a blast. And we had a sake toast at New Year's. What else mm, is there to do? Yeah, I can see cow soy at like twelve thirty seven in the morning when it gets a little chilly. <laughs> yeah, I, I, I'll what, be right there. But, that was very specific. And I will say this, other than Chiang Mai in Thailand, one of the best cow soys I had was in LA because I see you have a Dodgers hat. So I do have a Dodgers hat. There's a um, Northern Thai Eatery Club, which I may be butchering the name just because I'm – but they have an incredible cow soy. It's like this steam table. They have fish and things like that. It's like this hole in the wall and the cow soy is out of control. This is exactly where I go and – all you have to do is close your eyes and eat, mm-hmm. you know, and they have that little table out front, yep. right? Yep. In the parking yep. lot with all the, the Thai vegetables, Thai eggplant, yep. Yep. snake beans, all of that good stuff, right? It is fun. And their lob is mm-hmm. mind blowing. Yes. And, and, and chest exploding sometimes, depending on how spicy it is on <laughs> the day. Um, you know, I got to Fuquak a few years ago and I just always have such fun memories the fish shots there and going out in the boats and things like that and being able to come to LA and, 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 you know, where you are in Phoenix and get those flavors speaks so much to how much food is just traversed the world now. And you can just mm. get a bite from, from sort of anywhere in your hometown, if you're lucky enough. <laughs> well, we're pretty lucky here in Cal- Cal- California. Uh, we have San Gabriel Valley. Yeah. Right? Uh, I, I mean, live right next door to it. Yeah. I mean, I, Sichuan impressions. I mean, there's just so many magical places. I mean, I I, I love you're you're referring to Red Boat, right? In Folk mm-hmm. Book, they have the purest waters for the anchovies, and it's just magical. Yeah. In fact, I went out on the boats with Kong. 
uh, not with Kong, but with his team. And oh, then yeah. they just, their hospitality, we had a Unreal. beautiful, I don't want to make you jealous, but we had a beautiful spread. It was like Thanksgiving meal and mm. it was just magical. And it was, what, what beautiful hospitality, right? Oh, yeah. Um, and I know that you know hospitality because you cut your teeth in a previous generation of chefs. I mean, you've been in the scene for, for decades, but I remember I'd first moved to New York and I was hearing about Spice Market and all these different restaurants. And that's where you were in that world of like Budokan, Morimoto and things like that. What was what was like the early aughts New York scene like being a part of that? Yeah. You know, pre, I would say, 2008 blowout, like yeah. when anything seemed possible. I appreciate you dating me back, so thank you so much. Hey, I was there too. I was there too. Not just you were like twelve years old. No, I was in my early twenties. I was cutting okay. my teeth. I was cutting my teeth. Look, I had enough enough money in my in my pocket to go to Spice Market and things like that. So, I mean, do you remember those days? It was like the wild, wild west. It was, it was unbelievable. Like the meatpacking district. You know, I worked for Jean Georges for for four years. I was part of the opening team for Spice Market. Like how revolutionary at that time, right? I mean, those beautiful flavors. And really that's what made me, you know, I grew up in a very small, humble town in, yeah. in Durham, Connecticut, you know, cows, cornfields, fresh, you know, fresh milk delivered to your door and coming to New York City and tasting the ginger, the lemongrass, the galango, the crotchai, the sauté mm-hmm. coriander, like mm-hmm. Jean-Georges exposed that to me. And Spice Market really took my um, love and passion for Asian cuisine to the, to the next level. And then thereafter, I went, you know, I spread my wings and I went to Asia and I worked out there from Thailand to Vietnam to Kowloon in, in, in Hong Kong. But Spice Market and Budokan and those, I mean, Budokan's still going. I mean, I know. How, I what know. a legacy. What a yeah. legacy. And I remember when Dale worked there and all those guys and walking in and just like the numbers – you know, the covers, the consistency, just the teams they had going, just yeah. making dumplings and things like that. And you see that sort of scale and just you get blown away. But but it is impressive. I mean, how do you serve that many people? I, I know. But of that consistency. And I know. you talk about Dale Todd, a dear friend of mine. So when we jump back to Kambara in Phoenix, Yang, who is was the walk master chef of Budokan and then mm. And then became the executive chef of Budokan. He, in fact, came out to train my walk team in Phoenix. So, wow. you know, you're bringing just, a little bit. Yeah, you're bringing a little bit of New York to it. But it's, you know, it's like, but that's how it works. I mean, you've, you know, you 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 worked at these big spots and then you opened up a few spots of your own. Um, and I have to imagine that you were pulling from your friends on the line, other people to say like, hey, like it's time to break out and do something. What... Like, what is that step like to work at these huge places that are sort of defining the New York restaurant scene and then go and open up your own thing, which does not have that reputation, doesn't have the legacy? Why make that jump and why make that jump when you could have just stayed within these powerhouses? Because you were working for the biggest restaurateurs at the time. Yeah. Well, l- let me just even go back a little bit further. So when I worked at Jean-Georges at the yeah. flagship in Columbus Circle, I-, I 
I just remember we had like a hairline fracture of, you know, in a play and you could barely see it. And it would just go, you know, a $500 play would just go right into the garbage. Like mm -hmm. when you own your own business, sure, we sure. don't have that luxury. Right. So, I mean, to work under these iconic restaurateurs, Jean-Georges, Stephen Stars of the world, and then to go out on your own. I mean, it's, it's, it's humbling. It's, it's hard work. It's, it's, you really have to grind and just like, Hey, go back to Top Chef 2, every plate matters, you know? Mm. Every plate matters. Now, speaking of Top Chef, so you were on 2010, season seven, and from a viewer point of view, and I think from a cultural point of view, going on Top Chef was like, yes, you won, and you got money for a restaurant, or you stayed on long enough, and I know you got second place, and to get enough notoriety to open up your own restaurant. That has... That is not the case anymore today. I don't think that people all ultimately go on Top Chef to open a restaurant, but that was a big jumping point for you. When you went that far and you were on TV for that long, what shifted in your career? What leverage did that give you? Were you have you been able to ride that leverage into your career today? Yeah, almost uh, what, 20, 15, 20 years. I'm not, later. I'm not dating you at all. I'm just throwing no, no, no. out. It's so cool. Like, right? Yeah. It's, um, well, you know, um, I was in fact on uh, three seasons of Top mm -hmm, Chef. So, mm -hmm. so you know, I, I believe the Dominican side of me and loving baseball and the competitiveness, <laughs> yeah, I sure. like to compete. And why I like to compete is I want to become a better chef and I want to become mm. more creative. So to compete against, you know, you Dale Tall days of the world, right? The Kevin Spragas, the Tiffany mm -hmm, Darius, mm -hmm. the Carla Halls of the world, like, how could you not get better, right? Yeah. I felt like I went to MIT, Harvard, Stanford, and just learning from these master chefs. And I just felt so enriched and so blessed. I mean, and then, but the goal was ultimately to get enough notoriety to keep opening spots, right? To get, to raise your national profile, or was it just really to compete and up your game at your own restaurants that you already had? Huh, th th that's, that's an interesting question. I mean, you know, it's kind of like you reap what you sow, right? Sure. So I, I don't, when I was competing, I just wanted to be present to the experience. Mm, mm -hmm. You know, we're in a business of the hospitality business. It's all connecting. It's all relationships. And it's just amazing how this industry just intertwines with each other. You know, to this day, I'm mm. still talking the Dale Talbay and we're calling each other for advice or bouncing ideas off of each other. And the family is so unique and so tight. I just, you know, Maria Maison out of Tucson, I just mm -hmm, got off the call mm -hmm. with her from your texting today, right? Tiffany Derry, I saw not too long ago. So it's a tight knit, uh, tight knit, um, you know, community, right? It, so for me, it's the relationships and then obviously how to leverage the experience, how, yeah. how to leverage the experience, right? Yeah, and I think what I've seen with you is that you're in New York and you're on TV and obviously it's a national, international show. When did you start thinking about opening spots and doing work outside of the city and what were the opportunities that led you to that? Yeah, so it's, it's very interesting. So coming off of Top Chef, I, I was very fortunate and blessed. You know, I did good. I did good on the show, right? I, I, I won some I won some prizes, right? Yeah. I, I fell yeah. sick in Singapore. Go figure. And I cook Asian food. How funny. Yeah, of course. Um, and just opportunities just naturally. I think it's like for me, like I'm going to get a little metaphorical, but it's like one step at a time in each 
opportunity kind of unveils itself. So coming out of Spice Market, I had you know people that wanted to um, to do business with me. And, and one thing I've learned, kind of fast forwarding today, I'm I'm almost 50 years old. I'm yeah. 49, and I I think I was on in my early 30s, but. I think, you know, no is literally, and, and not to sound cliche, but it's really powerful. It's like, no is the most powerful world that is in my mm. existence and making sure that I could align with people of the same vibration, frequency, and see, not only speak the same language, but see, speak the same dialect as me. It's, it's really, I, I feel like I'm doing a better job. I've had life experiences and tribulations where, to be frank with you, some of those restaurants did not do well. And, you know, I had to learn real hard life lessons, but I become wiser and more discerning and I'm able to really vibrate with the right people now. Mm. I mean, that only comes with experience and and getting into business with good people and bad people. Um, let's take a quick musical break because when I come back, I want to talk about some of those experiences. I want to talk more about Kambara and then I also want to talk about uh three months to put the playlist together, which is, I think I'm reading that correctly for the new restaurant. Um, am I right? Might have been a little bit more and no, I'm not going to sing in the shower for you. Okay. Okay. All right. (laughs) Well, we have a song from the archives here on snacky tunes on HRN.
Welcome back to Snacky Tunes. We're chatting with Chef Angelo Sosa. And before the break, you were talking about your experiences, both the good and the bad in the restaurant industry. And I was reading about your time in Vegas, and that was mm-hmm. a big shift in your career. And you've been really open about it. But I'd love for you to talk about it because it's been a big theme, I think, in the last year about chefs being open about when there's things don't go wrong, they make missteps in life, and how they change it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I mean, first and foremost, I, I, I'm at the point in my life, right? I, I'm comfortable metaphorically in my own skin, right? Like I have just nothing yeah. to hide and nor do I want to hoard information. Like I believe, you know, I believe in um, sharing. I, 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 People all have to learn their own lessons, but if mm-hmm. I could impart mm-hmm. any advice, any wisdom, any discernment, I am forthcoming that with with every single person, and I'm very forthcoming with my life. Um, you know, it was about seven years ago I had a venue in Las Vegas. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, it, in 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 retrospect, it was a really when I talk about relationships, and I'm very very maniacal and very sensitive and and i'm not one to rush into relationships now i I, i'm very very slow to pull triggers on partnerships relationships on every degree and i'm always auditing reflecting auditing reflecting it's a process for me um you know that restaurant in las vegas went south and Mm. when i say my life was and was in a turmoil it was and 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 i'm just being straight with you like i i was i was homeless Mm. i I remember, and, and it's kind of just very, I wouldn't say it's comical, but I remember I had, you know, a nice car. I had a Jaguar and I'm pulling sure. up the Pan- Panda Express. And if you've ever been, been the Panda Express, you have these compartments and I'm sitting there in my, you know, ja- black Jaguar and I'm at Panda Express and I pull up to the parking lot and I'm like counting my meals. Okay. Like I'm good for three days, you know, like I'm good for three days and the sun is wow. setting and I'm yeah. just like, it was almost like the French Riviera, right? The sun is setting. I'm just hmm. looking out there, um, you know, at the sunset. And I'm just thinking, why me? Why me? Why me? Okay. And then I go to bed and I wake up in the morning. And you have to understand, this is like little, this is after months and months of just. Oh, sure, sure. Like like a litany of like, it, it was a massive struggle. So I was essentially sleeping in my car. And I wake up the next day and I'm just praying and I'm like, and a light just went on. And I said, of course me. And I said, I wasn't, this is my moment to shine. And, and, and I have a bigger, you know, I have a greater vision. I have a greater path and I have a greater purpose. So I'm being prepared for something greater. So in that moment, I, you know, called my partners in uh, New York City. I, you know, I, I humbly said, yes, I'm a partner, but is there any way that you could get me on the payroll? And I just took whatever, you know, what wow. <laughs> I'm yeah. being like really straight with you. Like yeah. I took whatever pay they gave me. I don't even remember. And this is something I'm, I'm going to share that I don't think I've ever shared with anybody live, but I went to work at my restaurants and as everybody left, um, they didn't know my circumstance. Right. I would wait until everybody left. And in fact, sometimes I just left and walked around and then I went back and I slept on the floor, a wood, like it was freezing. And I remember putting the aprons, the white, you know, yeah. um, linen ap- aprons over me. And it was like freezing. And I'd wake up at like 4 a.m. just to make sure nobody saw what I was doing. Cause I was just in all truth. I was, I was embarrassed. And, but what I will say is there's no, you know, there's no victim story. It was a really a story of triumph that mm. 
anything is possible and any i think anything could happen to anybody at any given moment and in those moments i made a commitment to myself to stop drinking to start focusing on my vision my purpose and why i was created to be even put on this earth so i just in that moment i just started removing you know those things that had no meaning in my life right from associating with certain people or just yeah. things that I put value to. And I got like laser, laser focus. And one step at a time, I just started rebuilding my life. And I, I could really say, I don't fill my life with, you know, material things. I feel my life with things that matter and that can make a difference in this world. That's incredible. And, you know, you, that's, what's so interesting about this industry or just in general, it's like, you're on TV, you have a restaurant in Vegas, you have all this stuff, and no one really knows what's going on. And the only person who can really take accountability for that is yourself. A hundred percent. And I had to look at myself in the mirror and it was not pretty. It was, mm. there, there's things that I needed to take ownership ownership of. And there's relationships that I just needed to go and take responsibility for and apologize of how I was acting. But, you know, I made a commitment to myself and I still make a commitment. Like I want to live a, you know, this concept of a legacy, like what's a legacy? Like that's amazing. But I, I'm, I'm talking about to you, like right now, what's my living legacy? So every yeah. moment, every interaction, yeah. how could I empower? How could I inspire? How could, you know, on my days off at times, like especially during COVID, like I would go feed the homeless and I would just drive around and I would search for people. And I would even, if I ran out of food, I would just find them and I would say, hello, how are you? Like, what is a, I mean, I was just thinking, when was it, how many, how often does a homeless person get asked, how are you? You know, yeah. so I would engage in those conversations, engage in those relationships. And I would just, it really was very humbling. So to be alive today and to be thriving, I'm blessed, and I do want to make a difference in this world, right? I mean, it's a it's a beautiful thing. Um, so let's talk a little bit about today, because now you're you have two restaurants um, in Phoenix. For those who are not familiar with the Phoenix scene, maybe outside of like Chris Bianca's restaurant, things like that. Sure. What's the vibe like? What's the scene like? What drew you there, especially since you're in San Diego? Sure. So, you know, uh, many people ask me why Phoenix? Well, I, I think like any, when you're open to the flow of life, it's like sure. riding a wave metaphorically, like you just got to be, you know, you're just, I don't, I'm afraid of the water. I'm afraid of sharks. I think I saw Jaws way too many times, but like, you know, if you've ever seen somebody surf, you just sit there in the water and you wait, you wait, mm -hmm. you wait, and mm -hmm. you wait for the wave. So Phoenix was a place of, you know, time and place. It, my um, business partner came to me with an opportunity from this investment group. Um, you know, and, and I'll admit and be transparent. I was very ignorant about Arizona. Like I just thought it yeah. was really hot and <laughs> there's a lot of cactus, right? But it's so much more. I mean, yeah. there's parts of Arizona that I would think I was in Napa Valley or I was think I, I was in my hometown of Durham, Connecticut and 45 minutes outside of, um, Tucson and Benson, there's a beautiful chicken farm that reminded me of Napa Valley, you know, mm. and it's such a diverse, there's so many different microclimates, uh, you know, an hour and a half north of Phoenix, we have a forager foraging juniper, you know, fresh juniper berries are mm. mushrooms for us, chanterelles, morels, like it's really magical. So, you know, I, I think um, it could be considered an oasis, but it's, it's so beautiful. There's so much more in the food scene. I mean, 
First of all, let me let me just even go here. And one of my favorite people in the state of Arizona is, have you ever heard of Jason Asher at Century Grand? Of course. I mean, oh my, first of all, I mean, I met him like 20 years ago in Aspen and we did food and wine festival together. And then fast forwarding, like this guy is just a pure genius. And I, I am so inspired by him. And I think being around people like that, being mm-hmm. around the Chris Biancos, mm-hmm. like, um, you know, the Jason Ashes of the world, that's called like, then we're able to elevate, right? Yeah. So for me, it's it's pr- right now Phoenix Scottsdale area is really primed for the pickings, and it's super ripe to be in. So being there, seeing the scene, I know you're a month in, but one might argue that you have a playlist at the restaurant that rivals all the others in town. <laughs> now I've never, I get a lot of details from people and chefs and PR people, but the amount of, of words sent to me about putting this playlist together, I don't want to ruin it. I'm just going to give the floor to you. How did you put this playlist together and okay. how did you work within the restaurant? Yeah. Well, I love your questions and thank you for asking. Well, let, let, let me even just go back a little bit more. So about seven years when this whole right. you know, ordeal yes. happened with Las Vegas and, you know, really, you know, I, I was homeless. Like I, I, I was homeless. Like, and I made like when I say what life changes that I make from not drinking anymore and hopefully stopping all that stupid, stupid, idiotic, childish stuff. Um, I made a commitment that everything that I touch is going to be personalized. Every Mm -hmm. person that Mm -hmm. I talk to, and I generally mean this, it's going to count and it's going to matter. Like I only have time for high frequency and those are the conversations I want to live in. So kind of fast forwarding to the music list and how that's relevant. You know, we opened up Tia Carmen uh, about a year and a, a year and a half ago in the beautiful JW uh, Marriott Hotel there in Desert Ridge. And then th- uh, a month ago, we opened up Kambara. And the music yeah. is so, you know, that personaliz- personalization, that customization. We use this company called Gravy. And what's amazing is, you know, we get on a call and we talk about, okay, what's the vision of the restaurant? We talk about the vision. What does the design look? What do you want the vibe to feel like? And they're like, okay. So then, <clears throat> a couple of weeks later, they're like, here, here are some tunes and I'll listen. And it's quite, it, it's quite, when I say I listen, it's quite a, a, a pretty substantial process. Then I'll like, it's a process of like, you give, you give the program feedback, right? You sure. like it, but then you give it very specific feedback. I love this for specific reasons. And then, and then you, they, they go back and they fine tune the process. But one thing you have to hear is like, you have to hear every single song and it's an entirety, right? So for Kambara, we're, you know, an Asian street food restaurant, right? Mm-hmm. And I wanted the restaurant to be nostalgic. So I wanted to pay, play 80s, 90s rock. I wanted to play 80s, 90s hip hop, Biggie Smalls, Tupac, Tripod Quest, Mary J. Blige, you know, like all of that cool stuff. But then I wanted to do Asian covers as well. So mm-hmm. Asian covers of... Prince in Purple Rain, Asian covers of Madonna, Asian covers of the Beach Boys, Asian covers of Black Sabbath. So when you're there, you know, you're able to get into this vibe, feel a little edgy, feel like, hey, like, I'm not that old, you know, like, hey, you know, right? Feel cool, right? So that really was the process. And it's kind of really funny when you're you're in the kitchen. Our diners are dining right there in front of our beautiful open kitchen. And they're listening to the Beach Boys in Vietnamese. Like, how cool is that, right? Yeah, and it's great because you can see people 
in the restaurant dining and one of those covers comes on or a song comes on and you see that slow smile spread across <laughs> their face of, of recognition. Like, oh, I know this, I know that. And then they take a bite and it's all sort of working together. But more, it's like, yeah, 100%. You're absolutely right. And I see sometimes, you know, people are like snapping their fingers and they're like, they, they know the song. And then and then you see their head nod, like, yeah. like, Scoop, like Scooby-Doo, like, what? I'm, I'm confused. Is that Vietnamese? Is that Thai? Is that Melee? Like, yeah. <laughs> so yeah. it's like really cool. No, that's cool. And also, especially during that time, there was so much, I mean, there, not only there was less music, but there was definitely more international covers. And like, there was so much of these like swapping of ideas and things like that with music where it's, you don't, there's not as many artists today doing international covers of pop songs in the way mm-hmm. that it was back in like the sixties and seventies and eighties and nineties. Yeah. And, and something, you know, the, the, when you, I believe when we create a dining experience, it's called a dining experience. It's the food, the, sti- the stimulation of the aromas of that beautiful cow mm-hmm. sweet curry, right? Emanating through the dining room. It's the shaking of those, the beautiful cubed ice to the perfect, you know, symmetry of, of the glass, right? And then it's the music. Uh, it, it's quite exhilarating. And I'll even use the word electrifying, right? Um, well, you know, what's cool for our opening party. I actually, well, you're in LA. I brought in an Asian band called hmm. Night Market. Okay? okay. And their famous song, I mean, these guys are not only legitimate, they're amazing human beings, very provocative, very thoughtful, kind uh, gentlemen. They saw their signature song was called Bag That Bow. Hmm. So they put on a live concert for our opening par- party. It was really spectacular. Wow. I mean, listen, it sounds like the first month has been amazing. And going into this restaurant's project with so much intention, what do you want to see out of the first year? What do you want to see out of the first five years for this spot? Okay. Well, I love the question, first of all. Well, we, you know, f- first and foremost, so I'm here in San Diego right now. So that being said is why I'm here is because we have an amazing team. Mm-hmm. Um, we brought in our GM from Dubai. He's really spectacular, super, super sharp. Um, he's a French gentleman, really just super hungry to establish himself. And our chef is is impeccable. Chef Penny um, was our chef de cuisine at Tia Carmen, my other uh, restaurant in on property. And she, um, we spent <clears throat> a lot of time studying the cuisine. And I brought her to LA. I brought her to San Gabriel Valley. I brought her to Santa Ana. I brought her to San Francisco. She didn't come with us to Asa, but she's just been doing the culture that we built. The buy-in is so, like there's like a vortex, right? And it's really amazing to see these chefs cook cow soy curry or cook sambal that they never even understood before. Like we've been spending a lot, the last uh, almost eight months really diving deep into that. But, you know, we'll be straight. It's like we believe that we could be on the San Pellegrino's, you know, top 50 list. Like that is our goal to be on the San Pellegrino's list, to be to get a James Beard award. We really feel we have a very singular voice. We feel like we had a very Mm -hmm. autonomous voice and we're very, very clear of our intentions of what we're producing. That's amazing. So are you also going to be tossing out $500 plates with hairline fractures or? (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, no, definitely uh, very humble, but very cognizant of of budgets. It's a different era. It's a different era. The P&Ls are a little bit different now. 
but but even if there is a chip plate, like that's the experience yeah, when you're yeah, on the yeah. streets of Bangkok. Yeah, I know, like, I know. Not yeah. not everything. And if when you come, which we would love to have you, like yeah. when you see the plates, they all have this cracked effect because mm. when you go to Asia, you see the weather, the age of the of the of the street, the facades of the streets, right? So nothing needs. I believe as life is, I'm looking for the imperfections, right? Mm, I love that. So listen, before I let you go. I was scrolling Please on your Instagram. Go. I know, I know. <laughs> I saw you on the tennis courts and oh, I recently stepped on myself after a 20 plus year break. I've, I've been just humbly practicing serves and no one can see, but you're out there. You're out there. Good swing. I saw your form. looks great. How does being on the courts, how does tennis help you round out your life? Oh, I love this question. So I've got to tell you, really, this is is what I think a comical story. So when I, you know, when you're in New York, when you're in New York City working in restaurant world, like, like, you know, it's a grind, like get up, you know, go have some coffee, maybe a couple of them, black, of course, black coffee, of course, get to work, you know, slug it out until like, you know, 12, one o'clock, maybe then, you know, some people go out for drinks or go home or decompress or do whatever you do, wake up and that's the grind, right? So I made a commitment when I come to sunny California, like, okay, I'm going to play, like I'm Dominican, I love baseball, okay? (laughs) Um, So I joined a softball team, okay? And we were literally the worst team, (laughs) I I would probably say in the world, not only in uh, in our group, like we were, I think we were like one in 26. And I was just like, okay, this is not fun. And I'm no. kind of really tired of team sports. So I'm going to try something new. I'm going to try to play tennis. Mm. Little did I know. So I hired a coach and he's a, you know, really amazing little. And I had heat stroke one day and I passed out on the court and, but Hey, a uh, great lesson there, but I love, it's really hard. Like so hard. to do the reads to, it's all about footwork. It's all about your courts. It's all about footwork and how to read and, you know, all of that good stuff. I adore tennis. I'm obsessed with tennis. I love going to the ten- Indian Wells tennis tournament. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Um, I, what I would encourage you is at the Hotel JW Marriott, we have a beautiful, not only tennis course, but I'm starting to get into pickleball. Mm. Little did I know, and our owner of the hotel, Greg Dickens, he is like, I swear to God, he is like the Michael Jordan of pickleball. I played with him two weeks ago. I don't think I'm ever going to play with that man again. He made me look like a child. Yeah. It, it's amazing when you switch from one paddle sport to another, you're like, I, I don't know what I'm doing. Um, well, listen, chef, thank you for taking the time. Uh, if people want to visit the restaurants or check out what you're up to, where can they go? How can they follow along? Yep. So we're in um, Phoenix, Arizona, the JW Marriott and Desert It's a beautiful restaurant. All the rooms are gorgeously renovated. We're getting a new spa. There's an adults only pool. Great for kids and families as well. But we have really gorgeous impeccable restaurants there um let's see our handles on instagram is i'm gonna pull up my phone so we have kambara at kambara phx um and then i have tia carmen there which is contemporary southwestern and we really put a great emphasis and focus on heritage and heirloom ingredients and that handle is tia carmen phx as well Awesome. Well, Chef, thank you for making the time. Thank you to Hallie and Emily for setting this up. Really appreciate yeah. it. And congrats on everything. Can't wait to come back. I would love to have you at the resort and let's play tennis or pickleball and, and let's go at we'll, it. We'll do tennis. I, I tried my hand at pickleball once and I was like, I think I'm going to put my effort into the tennis game. All right. Awesome. I appreciate you so greatly. Thank you. Thank you so much. Uh, we have another song from the archives and then a live performance here on HRN. Mm-hmm.
Want to cultivate farms and food systems that nourish, heal, and empower? Register now for PASA's 2024 Sustainable Agriculture Conference. Discover resources, services, and products at our expansive trade show, and explore more than 70 educational sessions on climate-smart practices, food justice, soil health, and more. Featuring a dynamic lineup of speakers including Reginaldo Hasle Marroquin, farmer and founder of the Regenerative Agriculture Alliance and CEO of Tree Range Farms, and Reverend Dr. Heber M. Brown III, pastor, community organizer, and founder of the Black Church Food Security Network. Find your community at PASA's 33rd Annual Conference in Lancaster, Pennsylvania on February 8th through 10th. Register now at pasafarming.org slash HRN2024. That's P-A-S-A farming.org slash HRN2024. All right. Welcome back. We have Francis Rose live in studio. I'm quite curious how you got your name. Just kidding. Um, Sarah Francis and Michelle Rose, welcome to Snacky Thank Tunes. You. We always love having family affairs in here. 
It's a sister affair. Yeah. Um, normally, my twin brother, who we've been alluding to, uh, would be calling in, but like Darren. We see, Darren. Yeah. <laughs> I already know his name. Yeah. Um, I mean, there's so many questions about how family ends up working together. Um, some good, some bad. But you know, give us like where. How did this begin? Wow. Ninth grade. <laughs> High school. <laughs> yeah, we've been playing music together um, since we were little. Um, classically trained on violin. And then I started guitar when I was 14. Mm, you started cello at seven? Mm-hmm. Yeah. And still, t- and still playing? It's still going, yes. Is it just the two of you? We have a drummer named Brandon. I meant in the fam- is that brother Brandon? Our family? Uh, yeah. No, he's no, he's not our brother. Our <laughs> no, it's just brother. the two of us. We're two and a half years apart. We grew up best friends, making up plays and dances and singing. So it's kind of just continuing that rhythm. I mean, how 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 like much leverage do you have over anybody else in the band? <laughs> <laughs> we uh, it's definitely a give and take. You know, it's uh, amazing working with your sibling. It's I meant like Brandon. The drummer. Oh, Brandon. Well, he's like our honorary brother. So. Oh, okay. Oh, that's perfect. <laughs> yeah, we're close. He has um, amazing sense of humor. <laughs> oh, really? Yeah, he's really funny. How did you find him? Oh, my gosh. Through our friend, our photographer friend, Eric Mooney. So when you look at our site, all the images are taken by our really close friend, Eric Mooney, who's amazing. And They're he, beautiful images, by the way. Oh, thank you. Thank with the, you. the tangerine, mm-hmm. the pink. Cool. So Eric introduced us to him. So, yeah. New York is like that. It's a domino effect. It really is. <laughs> um... How did it evolve from, you know, classically trained, both your sides to picking up the guitar, from going from just, like, you know, inside your bedroom to, like, mm, we're going to, like, start making music and playing out shows and, you know, a, that type of evolution? Working with friends that are producers and then sending the songs around. Yeah, and um, a record label called Neon Gold Records. Love Neon Gold. Yeah. Um, yeah, Lizzie and Derek heard our stuff a long time ago, like in 2010 or 11. Mm-hmm. And then um, and then we signed a publishing deal and just kept going at it. <laughs> this is like a really nice rhythmic story. <laughs> yeah. Um, has the, I mean, being so entwined in family, did the sound kind of evolve from like, earlier days to like these were like early sets of songs and then like you know as you know you began you know adopted a name did the sound change over time or has it always kind of been like similar roots in the songs that you wrote together to where you are now we always write together stripped back with an acoustic guitar but we have different influences and they so yeah. I, was, I was really into techno yeah. i was really into i was into everything from like hardcore <laughs> to like huh. indie rock so our influences come together and we really like this New York influence of new wave, 80s throwback, kind of that's like a very New York sound that I've always been into. But Yeah, we listen to every genre, So, but it always starts basically with a acoustic guitar or a piano. And, and why does it, I mean, considering how much pop and synths are in the recording music, why does it start on the acoustic guitar? Because it's mostly about the songwriting, and hmm. I think that that's the, you can really, when you start from a skeleton... You usually come out with like a better product. Yeah, if a song is good on acoustic guitar, if you bring it to the electronic production, it always usually gets more fun. <laughs> I'm not a fan of the kind of bands that hide behind all the reverb and all the electronics, so I feel like if you have a great song and it's worth putting all that stuff around it, you just have to like start with the bare minimums. That's what we're best yeah. at, is just sitting there, writing some poetry, writing some lyrics, and writing a song, and then saying, oh, this is really sticking with me let's take this to the next level mm-hmm. first like kind of turning knobs and making sounds before there's a song people work everyone works differently yeah um let's hear one sure what are you gonna play for us first uh this song's called lonely okay 
live iTunes. You made an interesting point about writing, uh, pulling from poetry, or something different places. But a lot of writers pull from personal experience. Considering that you're two years apart and grew up in like a pretty rural Hudson Valley area, yes. how much of a similar past are you pulling from for your influence? We always had the same group of friends. Yeah, we have a lot of mutual best friends. Um, so, and uh, I mean, every song means something to each to the individual um, when you're writing it. But um, and we write a lot of love songs also, so yes, they are true to our lives. The lyrics are based on experiences. Do you ever write a song and one of you is like, that's not how it happened? I oh, actually, yeah. Really? <laughs> yeah, of course. Can you give an example? Um, well, songs evolve. Yeah. So we put this song out called Vampire, and for, it was very real to us. And 
I had like very specific narration. I was like, this is when I was at that club on 11 that, you know, it's like, <laughs> um, so lyrics change. So like that song started by talking about reading by candlelight. And then it was like evolved because we needed to make it a little more contemporary and accessible. So I'd say as lyrics change and narration changes, we kind of, you know, we'll be like, oh, but that was supposed to be at that, that one moment. No, yeah. it was like this. It was like that. Oh, vampire. I guess the meaning behind it is like people when you go out at night and you see someone that you may have a past with at the club or at a restaurant. And then you're like, oh, my gosh, you're out at two in the morning or midnight having dinner. And so am I, you know, that for me, that was what it was for me. And it it's based on a very specific person. <laughs> yeah, it's funny. <laughs> like, so writing pop music and creating a common ground is really important. So it's interesting when we have shared a lot of the same experiences and we were both there that one night when that one moment inspired us to write that lyric. So yeah. it's cool to have that companionship within the songwriting. And love is like the universal language. So if something ever relates. feels too specific, we can pull our, each other out of it and say, not everyone can relate to that one. Really, <laughs> It was like so specific. It was a Sunday. It was 4 p.m. <laughs> we were in Chelsea. <laughs> <laughs> um, and I mean, and, and how do you you know, my brother and I, when we would ever get into uh, arguments over uh, our projects, they were called by our friends house meetings, uh, mm-hmm. just as like a way because it could happen anywhere, anytime. But in the same way, um, the communication style between you two and the way that you kind of, you know, people say that bands work really well because people are not as polite to each other because they oh, don't yeah. know each other thing. But um, siblings are really not polite to each other. You have uh, to be honest. Yeah. I mean, you have to be cutthroat and honest and say, you know what, that sucked. Or like, let's do that again. Or like, no, I know you don't want to practice anymore, but we have to keep going right now. You know, it's like you help each other through it, especially as siblings. And there's definitely like no, we, there's no, uh, we always communicate so openly. So it's like, there's nothing to worry about. We're not afraid of what the other person's going to think because we're It's interesting because like when you get into like the professional writing world and you're thrown into rooms of people you don't know, they're just to instantly connect with and write a great song with, it becomes interesting because people really try to maintain the vibe of this like positive vibe. Mm-hmm. But I feel like you get better material when you're with someone that you don't have to worry about the vibe and right. you can just write a great song. Yeah. And it comes out fluidly that it's way. More, yeah. You're more honest and you can pull things apart and it's not so... And songs have we don't even expect it instead of being like let's go in a session and write together sometimes it works that way but other times it's just like oh let's have a glass of rosé and yeah we'll have writing sessions and we'll come back and we're like I really missed you I wish you were in that session man it was like <laughs> so it's interesting and there's definitely telepathy that happens when we're both writing with someone else and we do the same thing at the same time or think that and as twins I'm sure well no I mean I my that. argument about uh, people like twins being Psychic or telepathic, it's like if you grow up with someone and you share so much of the same experience and you're kind of like wired and wired in the same way that like, you know, you have the same movies and references and life experiences like you're going to think in the same way or a lot, a lot more closer than you would with, you know, a stranger. Yeah, it's an amazing gift. It's like, yeah. So I mean, in two Can't years, it. it's <laughs> in two years, indifference is not that much. Maybe you could call them just writing sessions, just whenever it happens. Yes, instead of house meeting. Yeah. Instead of house meeting. Um, <laughs> can we hear another song? Yeah. yeah. This is about where we grew up in upstate. Hudson Valley. So, do you want to set, you wanna set the set the stage of what it is to grow up in Hudson Valley? Now it's organic a thing. farms. Now it's a thing. <laughs> Removed. The produce is amazing. I'm going to move up there. I'm going to open up a farm. It's we love Millbrook with also. Yeah. The yeah. vineyards up there. We love Beacon. We love Rhinebeck. Um, there's incredible restaurants. You have to drive. Maybe have, yeah, there's a lot of time to, to feel them. things. You, you're very. Oh, a lot of time <laughs> to feel things. I like that. 
Yeah. Yeah. I feel like you're much more reflective and everything. It's interesting when I spend a few days upstate and you interact with these, you know, four people or one man at the (laughs) deli who's, and everyone knows everything about each other. And then you come back to New York and you're just like, you know, hyper stimulated. And you say, I've interacted with thousands of people today. I've walked by thousands. And it's just like, we love the duality of having both going into the country and then, um, I think it's important to like have that temperamenting grain to be really thoughtful and to really reflect. But then when you get older, you just have to, you know, how, how much time do you spend in each place? Mm -hmm. I live here. Yeah. So I live in New York city. We try to go up, I would say once a month. Okay. Try. All right, so this is Upstate. Upstate, yeah. The song's called Upstate. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. We used to make noise. We used to make noise when we tied. But now we're silent to the high. Yeah, yeah. You like to tie me. You like to tie me up at night Are you a stranger to the light? Yeah, yeah, we have a date upstate Oh, 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 oh. we have a date upstate Upstate, upstate Yeah, yeah My love for you, yeah, yeah. My love for you is strong, my dear. Like lions, tigers, jungle fear. Yeah, yeah, yeah. we have a day to stay. Oh, 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 we have a day to stay. Upstate, upstate. Yeah, yeah. I'll feed you remedies Grown quiet in the garden Gin soaked and near broke Dry twigs into your hands I'll keep your arms and your mouth for me I give you nothing that you need Baby, we agree Do we, do we, do you agree? We have a date upstate. Whoa, whoa. We have a date upstate. Upstate, upstate. So you know you have a few shows coming up. Um, are there any like family traditions that maybe make into like pre-show rituals? Eating Greek food. <laughs> really? Lots of Greek food. Um, also, I guess 
like before we, we play mm-hmm. the shows. Yeah. We, like, our mom always calls us and is like, I love you. Really? We have to talk to our mom on the phone. Like every show? And she's kind of, yeah. She speaks like, in German and she says, Haus in Weinberg to us, which means break a leg. <laughs> in my, is my accent okay? Yeah. Haus in Weinberg, right? But it really means break your arm, right? It means break your neck. Break your neck and drop. Yeah, I remember yeah. my Oma used to say that. She's like, this is what it really means. Yeah. <laughs> but I mean, you can never really say good luck. You have to say something like terrible. Yeah. yeah. And if it comes from your mom, that means you're probably going to do pretty oh my, well. I played, and if it's in German. Uh, it's I played cello in a, I was in, uh, in a play in a workshop at Dixon Place in January. My friend's like, break a string. And then I did. <laughs> yeah. And then I had a friend have to like rush over and bring me an A string off of his own cello. Yeah. It was really true. You're like, don't ever talk to me before shows again. <laughs> I was like, oh my God. Yeah. He saved the day though. Yeah, and yeah, the show went on, but it was just funny. It was very literal. Where does the <laughs> Greek food come from? We're Greek. Oh, We're okay. Greek Italian, <laughs> but your German Jewish. Oh, 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 yeah. really? Just Mediterranean. Yeah. Okay. Feeling lots of feelings. Feeling all the feelings. Yeah. Time to have the all feelings. The time. Yeah. Yes. Time to have feelings. Um, do you cook together? Love to cook. I cook more than her. She makes really good eggs. Michelle makes <laughs> Don't amazing. It. It's hard to make <gasps> eggs well. I'm my, a bruncher. Darren is a much better cook than I, but I can, like, on some basics, I can knock him out of the park. Yeah. So yeah. I identify with you. Mac and Darren cheese. Darren will call you. And- <laughs> Sarah's incredible cook. I love to cook, yeah. I like, um, I was vegetarian for five years, um, and I'd like to make, like, fresh salads a lot. Um, we lot lived together for six years. Yeah. I just moved um, to Now we don't live it together anymore, so I miss we don't the cook cooking. as much. I miss yeah. it. That's what I miss the most. Yeah. It's more special when you do it, then you know you get together. And I'm like the sous chef. I cut everything up. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Who does the dishes? Me. I, I do. Uh, I have friends who come over after they drink wine. <laughs> um, so where's the upcoming shows? The ones Soho that you- House okay. on May 9th. Great. And then we're playing at Mercury Lounge as well awesome. in April. So check our site for that date. Yeah. And where can people find the music? Follow you? Like you? Come see your shows. Twitter, Francis Roses. Spotify or not Spotify for Vampire, um, SoundCloud for our new song Dangerous. Yeah, iTunes. Uh, our website, com. Yeah, it's F R A N C E S R O S E. There's no I in Francis. There's an E. It's yeah. the feminine of Francis. Uh, of like Francis Bacon was C I S. Got it. And we're like France with an S. Uh, so we're gonna get one more song in, but I want to thank Carrie and Claudia for coming on today. Yeah, um, stay me. tuned for some indefinite future of when you'll be able to hear all the wonderful panels. Uh, big shout out to Darren and I guess my fe- my now current sister-in-law who are in Tokyo. Uh, thank you for the German translation from Ornella who is here in studio. Uh, and then, hello to my parents. And then a big shout out to Jordana Rothman who is up for three IACP awards tonight uh, for her taco book. So we are all definitely pulling for her and hope that there's a big celebration. I guess a taco party would probably be in order. Mm-hmm. Um, a fiesta. A fiesta. fiesta. Mm-hmm. What are you going to take us out with? Um, this song's called End of the Night, and it's going to be released very soon. Okay. Well, thank you for joining us, and uh, thanks for listening. Thanks for having us. Thanks for having us. <clears throat> you got a new leather jacket on. And so long, I can't see your eyes. Dance like strangers in the dark. It's been so long, I wanna see your eyes So be we become completely numb We've lost ourselves inside this shell In the night, you and me do what we like
relax and take some space. Tunes is powered by Simplecast. Thanks for listening to Heritage Radio Network, food radio supported by you. Keep in touch at heritageradionetwork.org/slash subscribe.